This week on the Clubhouse, Anthony and I are joined by former Detroit Tigers starting pitcher Pat Ahern. Pat chats with us about winning the 1992 College Baseball World Series, being drafted and called up by the Tigers, his childhood love of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and much more. Please visit his website, thewayofbaseball.com, to learn how Pat can help teach you how to become a major league pitcher. This episode was recorded at the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse in New York City. Welcome to the show, everybody. It is a wonderful day for baseball. I am Manish Jane, and sitting next to me as always is Mr. Anthony Rapp. Hello. Our guest today is a man who spent 20 years as a professional ball player making stops with the Detroit Tigers, that's right, my Detroit Tigers, as well as the Mikado Cobras and the Chinese Professional Baseball League, and he spent some time in Australia as well. We got a lot to talk about today with him, but he grew up a fan of a West Coast baseball team. So today... We talked to him as a Dodgers fan. Joining us in the clubhouse, Pat Ahern. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello. <laughs> how you doing? Good, good. Thanks. So I want to just quickly uh, explain to people how I met Pat uh, the other night here. We were recording at, at the lovely Bergino Baseball Clubhouse in New York City, and we had an event for Jim Cott, soon-to-be hopeful Hall of Famer Jim Cott. The fact that he's not in the Hall of Fame is quite disappointing to, I believe, all of us involved uh, but we were just sitting there chatting, and, and Pat asked Jim a question about pitching in the College Baseball World Series. And this is Jim Cotta, man, who's won 283 uh, Major League Baseball games. He's been a broadcaster. He's, been, he's done it all. And to see the light go off in his head where he recognized, not only did he recognize you, he remembered your number. He remembered the the moment. He remembered everything about that from 1992, was it? Yeah, it was 92. From 1992, it was really kind of a cool, special moment to see how much your experience in the College uh, Baseball World Series seemed to have impacted this this guy, who I imagine was a guy you looked up to back in the day. Yeah, it was. It was, it was a cool moment. I mean, when I heard that he was coming here and I thought, wow, I got I to gotta meet him because literally – the last time I spoke to him was being interviewed after that game in the College World Series. So tell us a little bit about your experience pitching in the 1992 College Baseball World Series. Well, it was it was one of the best times, of course, of of my career. You know, we we ended up winning the national title and for and, uh, Pepperdine for Pepperdine, yes, in '92 with Coach Lopez and everybody else. It was just fantastic time and. I got to pitch the first game and the championship game, so it was um, wow. It, it, it was <laughs> did really you win cool. both? We did, yeah. yeah. We 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 won. We I think we had some kind of record for scoreless innings to start yeah. the World Series or something like that. I mean, we played our first game was against Wichita State, and they led the nation in offense, and we shut them out. So it was just we came in pretty. Who's this? We you shut them out. If you're if you're the one with the, with the ball in your hand. Well, you know, with with a sinker ball, you got to have some guys that can catch it and throw it behind you too. So, 
I give credit to my whole my whole team for Look sure, and we had to score too. So, <laughs> but but, hey. but how many how many innings did you pitch in that first game? Um, like six and two thirds or that's something like good. that. I would say that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the credit can go uh, on your shoulders for that. But I get it. You always want to credit the team, and you you know you no one does it on their own. But that's. You know, Anthony and I have discussed before as far as, you know, just being envious of, of guys that can be on the field. And, and, you know, Anthony has had a lot of experience performing, you know, doing eight shows a week in front of sold out houses across this country. But what is the feeling when the, the pressure in that situation, it's not just some normal regular season game. The pressure is on you are in a championship game at a relatively high level in, in the sport that you've grown up playing your entire life. You know, it, you hear that 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 pitchers that that the crowd noise just becomes white noise to them that they don't really know what's happening. They don't they don't. It doesn't really bother them as far as as uh, having a lot of uh, just noise in, in the stands. What is it like when you're actually on that stage? Well, I'll tell you what. The I never understood that whole idea about the not hearing the crowd and it turns into white noise. I mean, I love the crowd noise. It's it's fun. That's the best time. I mean, when. When we got to the College World Series, I'll tell you something interesting about that. The whole season, even in the fall, in our clubhouse, we had on the big screen TV, I don't know who did it, but every day they threw in the video highlights of the 1991 College World Series. And, I mean, you talk about being in the theater. That was just every day was rehearsal. And you see how it is now. When you look at a team, whatever level it is, when they're one out away from winning it all. Yeah. And what the dugout looks like. <laughs> okay, so picture that. Now, if you go back and look at it, they had the camera on our dugout as the final out of the College World Series, and we won the championship. And literally our whole bench is just sitting down. One guy had his legs crossed. <laughs> and then you see just they stand up and raise their arms and run out <laughs> on the field. I mean, it was it was so much. I mean, I, I would attribute a lot of it to you walk in the clubhouse, you're getting changed, and you're seeing the last out of the World Series the year before. So we got there, and we were just like, "Yeah, this is about right. This yeah. is how it's just the confidence. To be. It's just it's that it's that belief in yourself. It's the yeah, no, of course. Why wouldn't we be here? This is this is what we do. This is what we're supposed to be doing, and this is what we do. Yeah, of course. I mean, you get. You get the adrenaline flow. You get the excitement of it, to be sure. I mean, and and I know being in the entertainment business got to be really similar. Sure. Where, I mean, if you go through all of your rehearsals, all of your practice, and you're trained and you're ready, you still get that excitement yeah. of get going on stage, but you know that you're going to go out there and perform. So, I mean, the only difference maybe is that you don't have – other, you don't have opponents necessarily. Exactly, yeah. like, theater, I don't have but. somebody like that. I have to try to get out. You know who can hit a home but, run. But, but but I mean right. it's it's the same it's the same principle. You just if you prepare for anything, you'll be ready. Well, so I mean that. So Anthony and I over the last couple of, of of days here have been commiserating with one another about our respective teams, the Tigers and the Cubs, and their uh, current nemeses of, of the Cardinals and the Royals respectively and how they just can't seem to get over that hump and how especially with the Cardinals with the Cubs these guys just they they seem to find a way to win every single game not flashy not anything so it sounds like what you're saying to me is that what, what so Anthony and I've talked about is that with the Cardinals it seems like there is a mentality there is a confidence there is a belief in oneself that it, they could be down five to nothing but they're gonna win the game 
You know, it's not going to be a problem. So it sounds like when you were in the College Baseball World Series, there was a lot of that, and there was a lot of just confidence. Do you think – so I guess my question is, do you think that that is something that is an underrated uh, – um, it's kind of unquantifiable, but is that that's something that if you have a confidence in yourself in the clubhouse, in the in the dugout, that you're more likely to get a win? Oh, well, of course. You're, you're going to – it builds on itself. It sort of creates this own – momentum but i really think too that there a lot of what i've seen it it seems like it just kind of happens or it's by chance but then again looking back on things you can say that was probably one of the big reasons why things happen that mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. but i definitely do think that there's a process so one of the things that i'm you know a study of is that sort of thing mentally where you say okay we won we won a national title but what happened that would be something you could point to and say, that's what we did. And I'm not saying like, okay, put a video on of whatever it is you want to do, but definitely that mental rehearsal, it's like doing repetitions. It's like we, we, we could have been in the final out of the World Series hundreds of times at the time that we arrived there. So, mm. so this is one of these things that I, I think is, is essential for having success is, you know, beyond any sort of luck or good fortune or anything like that. If you set out to do something, then you roll it over in your mind and you practice it and you rehearse it and you you physically do it and you mentally do it. And so I think that's something that is is definitely doable as a process in terms of even just training. If you go out and you, as a pitcher, you do your workouts, you throw your bullpens, but you also have to put yourself in situations ahead of time. Otherwise, when you get there, you're going to you're gonna have extra work on your mind. <laughs> I, I've always wondered as a pitcher, um, you know, they always talk like on Baseball Tonight or on the, you know, MLB Network recap shows about like mistake pitches, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you leave a, you know, a, a slider, a hanging slider or a fastball over the middle of the plate. But they don't talk as much about like when it's, uh, I'm thinking back to, in, you know, in the World Series against the, between the Cardinals and the Rangers when, um, it was David Fries, you know, two outs in the bottom of the ninth, two strikes. <laughs> and he hit a pitch that was low and outside, tailing away from him, and it became like the game-tying triple, right? Mm-hmm. But it was not a mistake pitch. He hit the – he just got his bat on that ball, which seemed like kind of a lucky situation. From an outside – I mean, I'm not a hitter exactly, so it just seemed like that – it's not like Neftali Perez – or Feliz uh, made a bad pitch – Right. It seems to me he made a good pitch and then that guy just happened to tie the ball game with it. You know, I've always wondered what how you how you as a pitcher adjust when when a hitter you know hits a not a mistake pitch but like a really good pitch that you know is like even outside the strike zone and then they just happen to like get their bat on it and suddenly it's either a home run or a double or a weird, you know, duck snort or whatever. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, I would, I would, I think that knowing me, I would probably get really frustrated by that. Cause it's not like I, it's not like I messed up. Exactly. You know? What more can I do? I, I did exactly like, what I was supposed to do. Well, you, you, you try and put yourself in the best position to succeed, obviously, but you also have to understand you're competing against somebody who's doing exactly the same thing. So as much as you go out there with your skills and your abilities, the hitter has the same mentality. He's, he's trying to beat you. He's trying to do whatever he can. And again, with, with probabilities of baseball, sometimes guys get fortunate. Sometimes guys hit it in the right place. 
um, there, there's also other factors which um, it's, it's really an interesting concept. There's something called effective velocity. Now, there's a friend of mine, his name's Perry Husband, and he's studied this extensively. He's actually a hitting coach, but what he's found helps more for pitchers, believe it or not. And the, the basic concept of effective velocity is that the closer a pitch is to the hitter's hands, the harder it seems on the radar gun. So essentially, hmm. it, it, you know, he has to start a swing sooner, so okay. there's less reaction time. So a, a pitch that the radar gun says is a certain velocity, you're going to add a couple miles an hour to it if it's, if it's more in. You're going to take away a few miles an hour if it's more away. Perceived, you mean? Perceived velocity right, by, the, by right. the hitter? Yes, yeah. yes. And, and it's, it goes to velocity being a factor of time, of course. So, so a ball that's further away from a hitter's hands, he has a little more time to, to get to it. Mm. Now, what you do is you add to that that a hitter really isn't able to adjust if the effective velocity from one pitch to another is too great of a spread. If it's 10 to 12 miles an hour, yeah, I mean, it's... It's. I mean, it was. It was amazing. The first time I was told about this, I'm in a sports bar, and my man's telling me. And over his shoulder, I'm watching Braves Giants, Greg Maddox versus Barry Bonds. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm. He's tell, told me this, and I see this sequence. I see change up in 900 miles foul, <laughs> change up away, check swing, 0 and two. And Greg Maddox threw Barry Bonds an 85-mile-an-hour fastball in, popped up to the second baseman. Yeah. Now, how many times would anybody recommend, let's throw our 85-mile-an-hour fastball in on Barry Bonds? Yes, especially from a, a right And I'm hitter. a righty. Yeah, 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 I'm a righty. So let's, let's go with that. But you can see even the best in the game, they don't catch up. So if you look at a changeup that's, say, 75, but it's down and away, you're going to subtract – five or six miles an hour so sure. it becomes a 69 mile an hour effective velocity to the hitter's eye then you come back in with 85 and add six to that then the spread goes from 68 to 92 yeah and even barry bonds couldn't do anything with it that's really that's so incredible. but that's the, always the thing that i i obviously not, i'm not alone in this that everybody admires and loves about maddox was that he was able to do those 85 mile per hour pitches but for him it was he was able to hit the exact pinpoint spot because if it's even an inch a little bit getting a little too much of the plate then it's going 900 miles over you know center field and so it's it's well he's a master of execution so for sure too, I mean. oh yeah 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 the, the movement on that was, was phenomenal so i i, I think well, you know what? Here we're going to get to that in a little bit. Well, I, if I if oh, I can just, if I can use that to go ahead and answer your question, oh, sure. <laughs> oh, some yeah. of it some of it is just I mean there's a there's a rhyme or reason to it. I don't remember the exact sequence in the World Series, but it may have been that the pitch before was too close in effective velocity to the pitch that was hit that got the triple. So yeah. so it could be part of that, but you also have to. Give credit to the skill of, of the hitter, and and that baseball's funny sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was funny. That was my friend was there. He's a huge Rangers fan. He was in the stands oh. watching the game at Bush Stadium, texting me saying, "With two outs, two strikes." He's like, "Say, I'm about to cry." And mm -hmm. I was like, "As a Cubs fan, I can tell you, do not do that. It's oh. not over yet." 
Oh, well, he yeah, did well, cry. He, 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 he may did have. Cry. Yeah, he may have. So. And that, I mean, you know, it reminds me of a, when I was when I was in in Czech Republic playing. They had uh, on the anniversary of when when the Russians came came in and shut everything down. Basically, they had photos and they had all this stuff. There was a really interesting quote because the Russians essentially liberated the Czech Republic in World War II from the Germans, and then they came back in 1968 to sort of put them under communist rule. And one of the quotes that the Czech person said was, it was the second time that we welcomed Russian tanks with tears in our eyes. Yeah. <laughs> he said the tanks were the same, but the tears were different. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's really interesting. Well, you bring, actually, that's that's a seamless transition. You bring up, you're playing in, in the Czech. So I did want to talk to you a little bit about, so you were a player coach or player manager in, in, in the Czech? I was player coach three seasons, player manager for one. Okay, that is, you know, I think that's another thing you and I have talked about is when the era of player managers ended in Major League Baseball. I, I, it's got to be with Pete Rose. He has to have been the last player manager in the make, uh, big leagues. I'm not entirely sure on that, so I'll, I'll look that up and I'll put that on the website uh, to clarify. But what is that experience like, being a player coach, player manager? I mean, I just think of Roger Dorn, you know, I think of, of Major League, you know, uh, putting yourself in the lineup and all that. It, it's <laughs> that, That's where my mind goes, but... but What's that actually like? It's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I, it. It was cool. I, w what I have to say, though, is that you definitely have to have some, some coaches around you that are, that are helpful, that can do some things for you, especially for me when I was pitching because, I mean, if I'm managing, I'm never coming out of the game. Yeah. I think I might have I left myself in a little bit, a little bit too long on a couple of them, but, but I, I would – on the days that I started, I basically – to my assistant, who actually was also one of our our first basemen, oh wow! I said to him, I said, "Hey, listen, you gotta, you gotta make sure." But um, wh when you when you get in that position, though, you're you're offered it because you have enough experience and enough understanding of the game that you can see what's going on and still go out and do your job. So, and and I mean, Czech Republic. It's it's good baseball, but it's not the major leagues. So, this was a thing where I could I could look and see what was going on and kind of gauge the the feel of the game and what kind of moves needed to be made. So, so it was it was a little easier in that sense. But I did have again a good assistant to help me out. And what would you say? What are the big differences? You say it's not the major leagues, but what does that look like? You know, from from baseball in Czech Republic. Yeah. like you say, it's not the major. It's good, but not the major. So it's like independent so. baseball here. Is it like quadruple A baseball? Is it triple A? Like what? <laughs> how would you? Well, the biggest difference is that they're they're not paid. Mo most guys are not paid. So when what are and and the schedule is a lot lighter. Right. So we would have an occasional weekday game. We'd play. Uh, Game on Friday, doubleheader Saturday, maybe a game on Sunday. So we're playing what what worked out to be like a college schedule. So the the problem was that our, our practices would start at say five in the afternoon during the week, and guys would be coming in from their regular work. So so it wasn't full of a, a team full of dedicated professional baseball guys. They had to go to their day job and oh, come wow. and play baseball. And then the other the other instance, of course, is that pitching is at a premium, and so a lot of the foreign guys that come to play are pitchers, and it helps the level of the league to have them face foreign pitchers. But also, I mean, you couldn't 
you couldn't schedule more games just because you would flat run out of pitching. So <laughs> that's interesting. It, but a lot, but a lot more of, guys going deeper into the games. I'd assume not not as many uh, specialists, not as many uh, one out specialist guys. You got you know uh, complete games happening more often over there, or not really? Just well, no, it, it works out to be about the same. Just because instead of having seven games a week, you're playing three or four. So the guys that you would use to say get oh, a lefty okay. out. He just pitches, you know, Friday, and he's good Saturday and Sunday, and then he has four days off to recover. So it's, um, I mean, in terms of the level, I would say it's it's somewhere maybe a low minor league level. I know, I know, the national team would occasionally take trips out and play like a A ball or a rookie team in spring training and that sort of thing. In so, the states, you mean? Yeah, 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 they would come to Florida or something like that. And um. When you, so you say you were a sinker baller, mm-hmm. when you were like, how old were you when you first started playing and first started pitching? And how did you discover that that was going to be your kind of bread and butter? Well, I wasn't a guy that would throw 90 miles an hour, to be sure. Um, I, I've touched 90 miles an hour a couple of times in my career, if the if the radar gun was correct. But uh, you know, I, I my velocity hangs out around 82 to 85, and and I get a lot of sink and downward movement and. And uh, I I would just pitch that way. And then sometime probably when I was in college, I kind of discovered that, oh, I'm a sinker baller. You know, (laughs) like I was just – I would pitch in high school and get a bunch of ground ball outs and just – you just learn to use your stuff that way. And and it just – that's kind of how it developed. But when you you were first – so you're growing up and you're watching the Dodgers, is that right? Mm -hmm. And did you have in your mind – like were you playing Little League as a kid? Yeah, yeah, I played, I started, I mean, my first two years of Little League at age eight and nine, we had a pitching machine, we we used a machine, and then when I was 10 years old, I started pitching, and been doing it ever since, pretty much. And was it you who said, oh, I want to be a pitcher, or was it like your your mom or your dad, or was it your coach, or, you know? I I don't remember offhand, I mean, I I know, I probably just say, yeah, I'll pitch, and I I know, (laughs) well, I... I have stories that my father told me of playing catch in the backyard with a baseball and he would hold it, hold a glove out and I'd be able to hit his glove and he'd hold over here, I'd hit his glove. And he tells me these stories and I'm like, I barely remember that. But I mean, thinking as, as a kid, I mean, it was given to me, I suppose. And then, um, when, when I first started out, we were using a pitching machine. So the, the pitching position wasn't in play. And they put me at third base, and that was just essentially because I could throw it from third base to first. So. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, uh, at the Jim Cott event, we uh, Jim was kind of talking a little bit about the the rash of Tommy John surgeries, and one of the things that he brought up was basically the age that you're discussing right now, when you're about ten, eleven, twelve years old, and the amount of pressure that we're putting on these kids today, and and the amount of pressure we're putting on their arms, and and how. You know, they're doing travel teams way too early now, and they're playing year-round, and they're just we're putting too much wear and tear on 10, 11, 12-year-old developing arms. So when you were that age, when you were first starting, so it's basically a two-part question. Part one is, did you, did you have the mindset at 11 of, I'm going to be in the big leagues, and so I'm going to start, quote-unquote, training now? Or was this more, I'm having fun, I'm enjoying myself, and, you know, this, and me and my buddies playing Little League? <sighs> And you were able to take it a little bit slower. And just kind of what was that process like for you in Little League? You know, I'm assuming you weren't throwing curveballs when you were 
11, 12, 13 years old, which is something that I know kids today are trying to do. Right. Well, I mean, I can I can give you my my story behind it, which I'm not going to say this is the way to do it or not to do it, but this is kind of how it happened. I mean, I I I didn't start throwing a curveball until I was in high school. I mean, I threw a couple of them, but from up until probably age 15 or 16, it was just fastballs. <laughs> just no sign, just here it is, throw it, hit it. <laughs> and and I and I'm telling you until all, all through little league, all through high school, the only stat that I could ever give you was that there was one game I pitched and after the game, I went over to the barbecue and I had six cheeseburgers. And I was all proud of myself because I put. A, I was so hungry. I just was like, <laughs> oh, my God, these cheeseburgers. Give me a, hit me again. Hit me again. That's so I, 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 it wasn't like, oh, man, I'm throwing this fast and I got this ERA and blah, blah, blah. I was, like you said, I was just out with my boys when we, were, we played Little League. And, I mean, I started I, – I pitched in Little League when I was 10 years old and – we couldn't have played more than 15 games. So figure maybe five starts, maybe. Hmm. And then same thing at 11 and 12. And and that's for the whole year then. Yeah. 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 I yeah mean, they're not and, playing winter ball. Well, because, they're not playing. <laughs> well and, and in addition to that, I mean, I grew up in New Mexico. So in Albuquerque, it was, it was too cold. It would get cold in the winter. So it wasn't like we could... You know, when I when I got to California, I moved to California when I was uh, after my sophomore year in high school. So I arrived in Los Angeles and and I looked around and I said, "Okay, it's seventy two degrees in December. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, my my birthday's in December. I'm like, I'm throwing a bullpen on my birthday. This is incredible. <laughs> so after that, I was just like, I, I mean, this is the place. I'm in heaven. I love it. So, so is that when you became? Did you become a Dodgers fan when you moved out there, or did you grow up? Because I guess if you're growing up in Albuquerque, you really, you know, not much Major League Baseball uh, uh, in, in the area to root for. So what? Uh... Well, in terms of the Dodgers, I mean, there's a there there's roots to that here. My my grandfather was born in New York City. There it is. Okay. And he when he, when he was in the army, they they shipped him to California to do some training. He was actually in California training to be part of the invasion force going to Japan in World War II. And he ended up being part of the occupying force instead of an invasion, which was fortunate because I wouldn't have been around probably. So uh, so he fell in love with California, moved out there, and then I, I forget the exact dates, whether it was before the Dodgers did or not, but, I mean, he was Brooklyn Dodger fan, and, and then he moved to L.A., and it was great. And so he uh, he had season tickets through his company, and— I'm I'm growing up in Albuquerque, but it just so happened that the Dodgers AAA club is the Albuquerque Dukes oh, at the time. Oh, okay. So I would see all the players that came up through the system and get called up to the Dodgers, and then in summertime I'd go to L.A. My grandfather's living there. We'd go to Dodger games, and I'd see him like, oh, that guy was you know hanging out in the bullpen talking to him the other day. Now he's pitching the big league. So yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so who were your who were your sort of I don't know if they were idols exactly, but the people that you were looking up to or your favorite players growing up. Oh well, when I when I first became a Dodger fan, I mean, I was whatever seven or eight years old, and I could I could literally imitate the batting stance of the nineteen seventy nine Dodgers. It was Davy Lopes, Bill Russell, 
Ron Say, Steve Garvey, Garvey. Rick Monday, Reggie Smith, Dusty Baker, all those guys. So, Dusty I mean, and Dusty with Trusty. And, and, it, and it, you know, what was funny is that I didn't know any of the pitchers. I was just, I like I was going to say, that's really I'm, fascinating to me. I actually, I, I would have assumed that you would have been looking up to the pitchers, but I guess I really like hearing that you weren't some kid that was born, you know, saying, I'm going to be a major league pitcher one day. You just loved baseball, and, and you just kind of, you know, you're naturally good at it, obviously. You've got some natural ability, but there was, there, I, I feel like, you know, and this is just could be completely my misconception of, you know, this would be me romanticizing uh, old timers and old school baseball. But it just seems like the guys who came up years ago, it was you're playing sandlot ball, you're just playing with your friends, you're not focusing, you don't have that end goal of I want to. I mean, yeah, we all have the goals of we want to play in the World Series, but that's childlike wonder. That's the same thing as I want to land on the moon or I want to be a firefighter or I want to be or whatever. But now it seems like I, I talk to a lot of parents who have. Their kids and their talent, they tell me, oh, my kid's going to be in the big leagues one day. And the kid's like nine. And yeah, the kid's already throwing 70 plus miles. Slow down. Like, let the kid. I feel like the best major leaguers are the ones who just, who aren't focused on year round trying to become great. It is just, we're having fun and we happen to be supremely talented at at this uh, game as well. Well, there's there's talent, but then, 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 then that's just the starting point. Yes. So, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring up these stories. I mean, you, you would almost think, okay, have you ever looked up the odds of anybody making Major League Baseball as a player? It's, I mean, there, there's, uh, I want to say there's about 20,000 in the history of the game that have played Major League Baseball yeah. out of the gazillions of <laughs> people who want to. And it's... It's it's pretty fair odds. I mean, I, I I admire and I respect and I definitely would encourage people to say this is what I want to do. I'm going to set out to do it. But uh, to say at nine, I said, no, my, <laughs> yeah, my 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 yeah. my nine year old's going to eat seven cheeseburgers. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> that that's definitely doable. For me, it was suicides. I don't know if you guys remember that, but suicides were but that was what you we run sideways. Well, no, or? see that was so. Their suicides was that, but for us, suicides were at the end of the game. You would go and you would. Uh, ask the so you, we all get one free drink ticket basically and so with our free drink ticket we'd get the biggest cup and we'd have them put a little bit of every single one of the sodas yeah uh, of course ew but we were nine and that's what we did and so we combined nasty. every single one of the sodas into one giant cup that's how we figured we were gaming the system we were like yeah well if you get one free dick ticket we'll have one of everything and mix it together and who could slam those down Ugh. faster i you guys you guys didn't have snow cone machines that's we didn't i didn't go for the sodas i was snow cone guy no well could we we didn't get a free snow cone we got a free drink so we're little kids we got uh, we don't have any money we're doing whatever's free oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So when were you first scouted by the major leagues, and how did and, and were you made aware of it, or were you pursuing it, or how did that come about? Uh, I I remember one time in high school in California, there was like a local scout that came out to watch me throw a bullpen, and he just kind of like nodded his head and then he left and then didn't talk to you at all. Mm, but he introduced himself yeah. and you know shook hands and met him. And I, okay, that's nice. And then uh, and then going through it in high school. In high school, I just wanted to get into college and keep playing yeah. somewhere. So were you were you shooting for a, a scholarship or or just looking? You were looking for a college that had a good team. I, I wasn't even thinking that far ahead. I just like I want to play somewhere. Mm-hmm. So um, so when I when I was finishing high school, it was pretty it was pretty interesting how 
the stories were so similar. When I was finishing high school, I got recruited by three junior colleges in the L.A. area. One of them, one of them I went to on a visit, and it took me 45 minutes to find a parking space. So I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> the, uh. se- the second one I went to, it seemed a little bit corporate. You know, just like, okay, we do this, and everybody does this the same way, and I just, I'm like, eh. The third one I went to, the coach looked at me and he said, we're going to win a championship, and we think you can help us out. I said, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. And so there was that. Now fast forward, I and, and of course, my sophomore year at L.A. Harvard Community College in, in L.A., we were 51-5 and five and won the state championship. And, That's amazing. And, and, yeah. dur- and during, what happened to those five? Like what the- are you guys doing, though? What, is, what are you doing? You're slacking off of those yeah, five. Yeah. Come on, uh, now. <laughs> I'll, I'll, t- I'll take one of them. I oh. was, yeah, I had, I had one loss. That season. Oh, I'll take good Lord. I'll so, take one of them. It, it happens. And four. You know, it, what could have been? What could have been? It's, it's, it's the probabilities <laughs> of baseball. It's funny sometimes. But, uh, but then, okay, so, and then right after that, I'm getting recruited by three Division One colleges. One of them I go to, yeah, this is a little bit corporate. This is like I, I've, I was calling my own game all through high school, all through junior college, and I'm like, I'm not going to have, you know, wait until the catcher looks over. I'm, I don't need that. And everybody's kind of looks the same, doing the same thing. Uh, another place I went to, the coach is like, yeah, we'll play some ball. We'll have a good time. It'll be cool. You know, I'm like, okay, that's fun. You know, you guys have another one, you know. So then I – and then and then Andy Lopez and his assistant coach, Bill Springman, came to my house, sat with my mom and I, and they said, we're going to go win a national title, and we think you can help us out. <laughs> that seems to be the and line they, that we're And they that? put – well, they yeah. also they also slid a piece of paper over with a nice scholarship offer, yeah. too, that yeah. – uh, <laughs> I think parents I, are probably happy with I, that one. I, I always joke around with my mom because she did not have a poker face for that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I looked at the paper. I said, thank you. This is a very nice offer, and we'll keep it in mind and consider it. And my mom's like, big old smile across sure. her face. She's <laughs> like, yeah. So, but, yeah, and then however long later, we're celebrating national championship. And it, and at that point, you're – I mean, I don't know what the coverage was like for the College World Series at that time. Was it getting as much sort of national news attention and and tele- oh, sure, television sure. attention? We had, what there, and that's how I got in Jim Cott's game because the, the Saturday games were on CBS, and then the games during the week were on uh, ESPN, I think. Mm. So, <clears throat> so I pitched the first game that we played was on a Saturday, and it was Greg Gumbel and Jim Cott, and same thing on the championship game. So the yeah, the finals were on CBS and so it was, it was a pretty big deal. And so at at some point in there was that when major leaguer major league scouts were again approaching you or Well, it was funny because um I I didn't I didn't really talk to any scouts. I didn't hear anything from I mean aside from they give you these little cards to fill out your information. I mean, that's how it, mm. how it was at the time. They give you a little piece of paper and you Write your name and your phone number on it, and and I um, I was I was actually on the field at Omaha. We played we played four games in the College World Series. We played Wichita State, we played Texas twice, and we played Cal State Fullerton in the finals. So in one of the Texas games, Coach Lopez comes up to me after batting practice and says, "Congratulations, you've been picked in the seventh round by the Tigers." So you and had no was, idea that was even 
possible? Like you weren't I wouldn't aware even think about that it. you were I in the draft? Just, yeah, I, I mean, that was wow. that was draft day. I don't even think about it. I mean, I was a little preoccupied with sure. the Omaha, but uh, but it wow. was it was good news. I mean, so I went into the championship game thinking, okay, I'm going to turn professional after this one. Wow. So yeah. it was pretty cool. And at that point, though, so they draft you, and then do they make an offer at that point, to, like a signing thing? How does that work? Oh, I <clears throat> I got I got drafted, and then the scout who drafted me, Rob Wilfong, he used to play uh, he used to play for the Angels, if I recall, he's an infielder and. He's the scout for the Tigers that drafted me, so he got in contact, and I think the the national national scouting director guy got in contact with me, and then and then they they made an offer, and then I I waited for a while just because I mean it was we were, we were all happy from winning winning the title, <laughs> and I was just enjoying that for a little bit, and then I just took a few weeks, talked it over with my folks, and and uh, basically accepted their offer. And then as soon as I sign, maybe a few days later, I'm on a plane to Lakeland, Florida. So they sent me to they, – they actually part, – part of the deal was that they, they made their offer and they had a spot open in their high A club in Lakeland. So they said, well, if you want to sign now, then you, we're going to send you there. So I did, and then I got out there and started out. My, fir- my first professional game was in Lakeland, Florida on July 4th. 1992 heat index 115 degrees wow. i mean it was it was it was warm so you you can use resin correct on your rosin, hand yeah, or rosin, rosin yeah. on your on your hand and that is what helps with the super sweat situation or does is sweat kind of also okay to have when you're trying to pitch you know, uh, i've always wondered these things like no, well, in 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 that particular situation, because it's you know 101 degrees and 95 humidity, it was it was just a challenge to stay cool enough. But uh, I, I I was never a big fan of rosin. A lot of guys use it, and it just it dries things out a little bit and kind of helps with the grip. And you know, there's there's other stuff that you can do for that. But um, it, I, I don't know if my skin was sensitive for it, but it my you know, like my fingers would start cracking and it mm. would dry up too much. Yeah, and yeah. so you just try and figure out other little tricks. I mean, you're, you're actually, your glove is a pretty good sweat absorber. So, so you just kind of, you can, you know, just on the back, on the back on of the, the glove, you kind of rub hand, your hand you can, on the, yeah, okay, you can wipe I it down like that or here. I do that a lot. I mean, in, in situations like that, when it's really hot, you end up getting sort of a little from a towel, just constantly wiping sweat. You get like a, towel burn on your yeah, face sometimes sure. goodness sure. so all right so you so you play uh, uh you kind of bounce around you play for toledo i believe and a little bit for the for the mud hens and, mm-hmm. and and lakeland all that sure but um then you make your your major league debut in 1995 you get to play in tiger stadium which is the stadium that i grew up going to and and you know was, was my home home ballpark for many many years which you know that's one of those things i watched that place uh get torn down i had a friend of mine living at michigan and trumbull actually he lived literally across the bridge across mm-hmm. the street from tiger stadium and i i watched it come down with i won't lie with with many tears coming down my sure. face but i mean i i don't even have any specific questions i just want to hear stories <laughs> just tell me stories about tiger stadium about sparky you played with uh, uh kirk gibson i believe was his last year was your year you mm-hmm. played with sessa with tram with whitaker i mean you played with my childhood <laughs> so 
<laughs> that, you know what? Out of minute. context. Yeah, I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> you played with my childhood heroes. I'll finish that sentence. Okay. I'll Thank finish you. that Thank sentence. You. There we go. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, see. I'm getting all excited here. You played with with these guys that that were posters on my wall that were you know that that. Yes, just please uh, let me know how, how that was. Oh well. Yeah, the the day I got called up, I I actually. I was in Toledo, finished batting practice, came in, and manager calls me in the office. He says, congratulations, you're getting called to the big leagues. You're starting against the Yankees tomorrow in Detroit. Oh, my God. <laughs> and my first, crazy. my first thought was, I'm getting called to the big leagues, and you made me shag before telling me this. I mean, he knew. Yeah. He could have just told me, hey, don't even bother going out and stand in the outfield for 45 minutes. You're going to the big leagues tomorrow. No. So, <laughs> let's make him shag first. I'm like, come on. But isn't that part of the whole culture of baseball? Yeah, you got to like, pay your dues. Pay your dues you gotta, nonsense. Like, yeah, we got to, you know, come on, kid. We got to get you up there. Well, I mean, now they got they get all the bullpen guys the pink backpack or the door of the Explorer backpack. Like, they always do. You always got to, you know, get get the newbies up there and, and, and haze them a little bit, razz them a little bit. Well, I mean, no. This was in. Toledo. I guess this is still. This is still before you're coming AAA. up. I guess you're right. I guess at that point you have paid your dues. At that point, it is like, all right, <laughs> yeah, you've done I mean, well for us. I, Congratulations. I'll, I'll shag on the all shoulder. day in the big leagues, but come on, this is AAA <laughs> baseball. We got a we got a bat boy or something we can handle, you know. And so, so at that point, do you do you get on a bus at that point? A plane? No, no. Toledo's maybe an hour from okay, Detroit yeah. by okay. car. So, okay. I mean, I just woke up in my apartment in, in Toledo and drove up. I drove up to Tiger Stadium, got there, and was it day game or night game? Or? It was night game, night game. And what time did you get? Like, how do you prepare for your? For I that first well, not I, just that. Before you get to that, actually, but just what's the in, in the hour drive? So now you're waking up in your apartment, right? And you're driving to Tiger Stadium. Right. What is just what is going through your head? Is it the calmness? Is it the is it the hey? You know, I've done it before. This is what you know. It's it's a, just another game, or is it? There has to be some this level is, of of. This is this is actually one of those times where, you know, given the example of watching the College World Series highlights for a year, this is an example of where I didn't exactly watch big league highlights of myself for a year. <laughs> now, my mindset from the time that I signed was, I'm going to get to the big leagues. Okay, so now, if you really look at that, all I'm saying is, I'm going to get there. Okay, so driving up, it was it was not I was not in my normal game of okay, I got to start today. I'm getting my head right. I'm getting my you know getting kind of that little edgy feel, you know. And so I'm it, it was almost like I'm just witnessing myself drive up there. Mm. So I, I drove up to the stadium. The game's at seven. I got there probably about two o'clock in the afternoon. I went to the office. I signed my contract, and then I got to. The clubhouse met the clubhouse manager, brought me to my locker, gave me my uniform, all that stuff. So it was just I'm in the big leagues now. So I'm sitting in this locker room and and you know, my God, there's Kirk Gibson and oh there's there's big daddy Cecil over there. Now did they come over and, and introduce themselves or are you expected to introduce yourself or is it is there any sort of like protocol that you're told um, about of how to relate to these new teammates? I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't I don't recall that deal that detail so much. I think 
everybody knew that I was starting, so they just kind of let you do whatever you do. And yeah, that's sort of the. I thing mean, my, yeah. my my I mean my my biggest conversation with my catcher. So yeah, I I think I think Joe Flaherty was catching me that first game. So you know, I was talking to him. And I'm like, hey, you know, whatever. Whatever you say, I'm doing. You know, so it was just. <laughs> it was, it was do you remember? Did you shake off one pitch that that? Uh... I you know there wasn't many pitches to shake off on that first start. I lasted about an inning. So, no, I don't. I don't remember exactly. But you know, that's one of those those uh, for for non baseball fans. That's one of those things that that I don't think they fully appreciate or realize is the relationship between the pitcher and the catcher. I, I think that. One of my favorite things to do is anytime there's a no hitter, anytime there's a perfect game, anything, I like to go back and watch how many times that pitcher shook off the catcher, how many times the pitcher decided, no, I want to throw this. Because I I feel like the catchers don't get nearly enough credit for calling good games and for for, for building that rhythm with you guys. And I mean, can you just speak a little bit on, on your relationship with your catchers over the years and how what, what that's meant to you? Well, it's it's essential. It, it it helps so much. You you just it, it's it's not as though one one or the other is calling a game necessarily. Sure. But you're more or less collaborating, and you develop this trust to where if you see guys that work well together, yeah. And even when they shake off, it's just because both the pitcher and the catcher know what options they have. Mm. Like, we can get them this way or we can get them this way. And so the catcher will say, do you want to get them out like this? Mm, okay. Do you want to get them out like that? No. Let's get them out. Okay, we're going to get them out this way. Yeah. <laughs> and and there are, there are times like that when if if as a pitcher you're you're in control of your game and you know what you want to do, then your catcher will get on that page with you. Yeah. And then on the other side of it, if you're a pitcher that's a little bit unsure or has to really focus, just I, I just want to make sure I execute what I'm throwing here. I can't think about, you know, like I, I mean, I was a guy that that if a if a hitter shifted his foot in the batter's box before the pitch, I knew what was up and I saw it. So I would react to that sort of thing. But there are other guys that that are just, you know, Mach 3 with their hair on fire and they don't, <laughs> they don't notice that sort of thing. But as a catcher, because all you got to do is catch the thing, I mean, not, not yeah. that that's easy, but, yeah. but you're, you're reacting instead of being proactive. So as a catcher, you'll see them, they'll give signs, and they're looking at the guy. Yeah. They're looking at the hitter while they're giving their sign because they're trying to pick up something like, okay, he's, he's thinking this or he's doing this. But, but I, I, we, I, I mean, I would room on the road with my catcher. I, w- I was one of these guys that there have been teams where the backup catcher, I work better with him. So every time I'm starting, he's starting. Sure. So that was his day and my day. So it was it was a lot of fun. I, I that that's one of the best things about it. All right. So unfortunately, I could talk to you for. <coughs> unfortunately, I could talk to you for for weeks at a time. But uh, we have time limits here, so we're gonna have to move on to our trivia game. But keep uh, the Tigers in your head a little bit because I am gonna ask you. Uh, one or two more questions about them after the trivia game. But for now, we're going to jump to the trivia game. And and while you did wear the number 27 with uh, my Detroit Tigers, uh, you uh, your number will always be 55. So leading off for the Los Angeles Dodgers, number 55, Pat Ahern. So these are all going to be Dodgers questions. Okay. As much as I... 
Before we begin, though, you're Uh-oh. announcing me as number 55 for the Dodgers, but I got I to gotta give credit for this because in in L.A. Harbor Junior College, our, our coach was airing us out one day and letting us have it. One of the things that he said was, don't you guys watch the best in the game and how they go about their business? And at the time, you had to take a video cassette and put it in the VCR. My favorite pitcher... Oral Hershiser of the Dodgers, so I would videotape his games and imitate him, basically. My wow. first, my one of my pitching coaches, if you will, was videos of Oral Hershiser pitching, and I basically imitated him to the point where on that game, that's what how Jim Cott can remember so easily, was that I pitched identical to Oral Hershiser, had the same number and all that, and I I got to meet him. I think because he referenced of that. Oral actually uh-huh. when he I, yeah, I can't... he called me Oral Junior. Yeah, yeah, he called you Oral Junior. I was I was going to ask cool. him about that. He's like, what a weird thing to. to... That's yeah. a none too shabby comparison. Oh, when yeah. I, and when I got to the big leagues, Kirk Gibson called me Super Oral, <laughs> which I did not live up to in the big leagues, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, that's yeah. all right. Look, you got to pitch in Tiger Stadium. I you know. I ran the bases as a kid on, on Run the Bases Day at yeah. Tiger Stadium. That's well, the closest I got. And of course, of course, I get up there and I, I got home and my buddy, my buddy, the first thing he said to me, he's like, "Did you walk up to Kirk Gibson and do the fist pump thing?" <laughs> yeah. I mean, because hobbling, you have to be limping well. Yeah, to be yeah. hobbling. Yeah. All right, so here we go. This is for a single. How many World Series victories do the Dodgers have? This can include Baltimore, or Baltimore, good lord. Brooklyn. This can include Brooklyn and Los Angeles. I still got our last episode on the brain. Oh, my goodness. Okay, let me think here. Straight away, I can remember two with the Dodgers in L.A. That you witnessed, you mean, that you watched yes. as, a, as yes. a fan, yeah. Okay. Um, One of them was the Kirk Gibson fist pump, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to say four. Out! That's your first out. Uh, I will give you a hint. It's well, you're close. Yeah. You're very close. Well, I remember, I remember eighty-eight, eighty-one. Yep, you got that. And then fifty-five, I want to say. Uh, fifty-nine. Fifty-nine. Sorry. Okay. That was their own. Fifty-nine was their only one. Uh, no, I'm sorry. No, fifty-five was in Brooklyn. I'm sorry. I was looking at 55. the LA list. Yeah, so okay. fifty-five was in Brooklyn. That was their only one in Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, so um, I missed another one. They came. You missed a couple more. So uh, so five. Six. Six. Hey, there you go. Okay. He said six first. So that's okay. a that's a that's a single. Oh, see, this is <laughs> some generous officiating here. Huh? Scully? I don't that's know a that's single. You're right. a tiger. I gotta, you know. All right. This is this is my Vin it, it's not very good. <laughs> uh it's uh uh it's a beautiful day here at Chavez Ravine. Uh he's over there, he's walking up to the plate. There's a man on first. He's dancing around. Uh, it's a so for a for a, the the follow up the the number two the the number two person at the plate. Uh, who was the first player to win the NL MVP and the Cy Young Award in the same season? The first player to win the NL MVP and the Cy Young Award. Well, you got to give it to Kopax. Oh. No? Number two, give him, a, give him the hint. All right, that, that, was a, a, that was a clean, sharply hit ground ball right to the pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> Horse out. 
<laughs> we have two outs. Two outs in the inning. No score. Scoreless. <laughs> but it, obviously it's a pitcher. Uh, and it's uh, the first. It was actually, I'll give you a hint. It's the first year the Cy Young Award was created in 1956. 1956. Don Newcomb? Yes. That oh. is a nice and a run, double. And a run-scoring run double because <laughs> you had a speedy pitcher at the first base. And unusually fast. Some pitchers are fast. Some are slow. This is a fast one. Uh, but there's more to it. Uh, Don Newcomb was the only baseball player to have won Rookie of the Year, Most Valuable Player, and the Cy Young Awards in his career until... 2011, when Detroit Tigers pitcher Justin Verlander added the AL MVP and Cy Young to his 2006 Rookie of the Year awards. How's that? Is that Ben Scully's not terrible, right? That was that was pretty good. I, 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 you know, yeah. Who were you? You were imitating Jim Scully. I know Jim Scully. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So here we go. This is now, I, I do absolutely no impressions. This is an impression of Manish Jane reading off of an iPhone. <laughs> so this is for the triple. You now have a man on second. So this will score him. So, so the Dodgers. Two outs, on, two outs. Two outs. Man on second. One run's already in. Name the two different pitchers who gave up the two infamous Kirk Gibson home runs in the World Series. The first in nineteen nine or nineteen eighty eight, or sorry, the first in nineteen eighty four for the Tigers, and the second in nineteen eighty eight for the Dodgers. Ooh, yeah, this is a triple. This is a harder one. So you can either one, you know, uh, in, in either order. But so for an eighty eight and eighty four, Gibby hit two phenomenal home runs, one that clinched the World Series and one that won Game One. Yeah. yeah. Well, that one's easy. That was Dennis Eckersley, but uh, that's why I, I added the second one because yeah, everybody yeah. remembers Eck. So, mm. but who is the? Uh, I had to get some tiger stuff in there. Yeah, it's a, it's a combo question. Okay. <laughs> Can yeah, you for the triple? Uh, so it's nineteen. Who are they playing? Can I ask that question? You can't give that hint, right? If, I, if I give that hint, that's going to give away the answer. Okay. So nineteen eighty four. It was game five, the clinching game. There's an infamous video of Sparky. So this did not. This was not a game-winning home run. The Tigers were already winning five to four, and uh, Gibby came up to the plate with the base open. They should have walked him, and Sparky even put up the four, anticipating they're going to walk you, and they didn't. And you can hear Sparky saying, "They don't want to walk you. They don't want to walk you." And he's laughing, and then gone. <laughs> home run eight to four. I'm one years old and running around my in my diapers. You rem- you actually I actually no, do come not on. remember it. I've seen YouTube videos, but I was one and I was excited. Oh, I, I I don't know that one. All right, yeah, I'll give you a hint just because I'm being nice and you're a tiger and I have to, even oh, though this boy. isn't gonna be. No, don't, I'm, I'm not even scoring on Homer this officiating. He won't San take it. San Diego Padres is who they were playing in 1984. That's so the only time. That's the only time the Padres were in the World Series, right? No, you got you got you don't? that one. Oh, well, I'm sorry, but as a pitcher, you just swung at a a a curveball in the dirt, and and it just dribbled. It dribbled, and and you swung and you strike out on that one. The third out of the inning, it was Goose Gossage. Yeah, oh, okay. I was gonna. Okay. I was gonna say. It Goose was Goose Gossage. Gossage. So I'm sorry. Did he have the mustache? 
Uh, was the yeah, mustache I'm pretty working? sure he did. I think him and Eck did actually. So that yeah. was Gibby's secret power. <laughs> the mustache. <laughs> that was Those, Gibby's secret. They should have shaved. Get, get, get Raleigh fingers out there and just get all of them out there, and that that's what Gibby can do it. So all right, but that's all right. The Dodgers have one run on the board, so at least he didn't get shut okay. out. Okay. But uh, we're going to wrap it up pretty soon here. And there's honestly, there are so many more things I want to talk to you about. You had mentioned that you do have stories about Vince Scully, about Koufax, about Drysdale. So maybe we'll have to have you back on the podcast down, uh, down the line. But for now, I just need to hear, and you know, basically your best story of, of you know, during your time in the Tigers system or, or with, playing with the Tigers about you know, Sparky or Kirk or Cecil or, or just you really – Something that that can warm my little tiger's heart. Yeah, this is you know normally we ask a sort of more general question, but you know we'll make an exception because yeah. So okay, so basically normally we like to ask people what their what their favorite baseball memory was and kind of the thing that they uh, associate with their passion and their love for baseball. But I'm sorry, I just I need to hear some time. I'm I'm decked out of my tiger's gear today. (laughs) I'm all excited. So tell me some stories about uh, the '90s Detroit Tigers. Well, if anybody asked me what. The, the coolest thing about getting to the big leagues was is that I got to say I was teammates with Kirk Gibson and and um, what what one thing that I remembered from it was a day or two after I started we're out in the outfield and taking BP and then last round of batting practice all the pitchers go out in the corner and do their running so I finished my running and it's it's June in Detroit, so it's 90 degrees, it's hot or whatever. I forget that I'm in the big leagues, and all I have to do is say, yo, can I have another hat? And they'll throw me a box of hats. I still think I'm, I still think I'm in AAA, and I don't want to get my brand-new Detroit Tigers hat with the sweat stains on it. So for the last five minutes or so of batting practice, I take my hat and I put it in my back of my pants so that I don't get it all sweaty get back in the clubhouse, taking my stuff off and putting this, and I hear behind me, hey, rookie, hey, rookie. I turn around, and Kirk Gibson's right over my shoulder staring down at me. (laughs) And he says, hey, rookie, who the hell are you that you can't wear your damn hat during batting practice? And he looks over at Cecil Fielder on the other side of the clubhouse and says, hey, (laughs) hey, Pop. The rookie here can't wear his damn hat during batting practice. What do you think of that? Cecil Fielder just shook his head, looked down at the ground, said, Oh, no. <laughs> and, and, and Gibby's looking at me, and he's like, Did you take your hat off during batting practice, rookie? And I'm, and I'm terrified. <laughs> so, of course, I'm 100% denying it. No, Gibby, no. I had my hat on the whole time. I was you didn't take your hat off to No, Gibby, I, why would I do that? I'm wearing my hat. All right, well, wear your goddamn hat during batting practice. And he walks away. To this day, I'm now not taking my hat off during batting practice. But the rest of the story goes like this. I'm, I'm up there for two and a half, three weeks or whatever. I see Kirk Gibson. He's walking towards me. I'm like, hey, Gibby, how you doing? He's, he, he, the best I got was he'd grunt at me, like, yeah. like, that, <laughs> like that kind of thing. And, and you know, I don't know if you got to beat me out for this, but there'd be times where if Gibby's hitting and the, and he, and the pitcher got him out, he'd be pissed. No if matter he, what. Oh, yeah. If I he got that. him, if he got That's himself awesome. out, forget it. 
Like, there, like if he swung at a bad pitch, like, or if he well, popped it no, up or... no. If he got a pitch that he should have killed yeah. and he didn't, he yeah. would be really upset. So <laughs> I remember one time he grounds out. He's coming back to the dugout. The the camera guy at the end of the dugout's following him in. He looks at the camera guy. He points at the field. He goes, "The f-ing game's over there," <laughs> and he goes and sits down. I'm like, oh man. Now <laughs> I'm like, and and I'd be sitting on the bench watching the game, and he would be like, he was the the veteran who took care of the culture of the whole thing. I'm sitting on the bench and he'd be like, Hey rookie. Yeah. Give me what's the count. That's two and one. Okay, good. You know, like he'd make sure you're watching. That's cool. And so we, we, um, we went on the road and my last game was at Fenway. I pitched in Boston and that was, you know, then the next day I come to the ballpark and Sparky calls me in the office and he said, Scott Fletcher is coming off the DL. We need a space for him, so we're sending you back to AAA, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, and then I just went back out to the clubhouse, and the first person to come up to me was Gibby. He slaps me on the shoulder says, hey, rookie, man, keep working hard. Get yourself back up here. Good job. Shakes my hand. Go get him, you know? So I'm like, yeah, Gibby's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You're going to make me cry, man. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) That is unbelievable. What a story. Well, You've just been a tremendous guest. Thank you so, so much for, hey, for joining us today. Thanks this for was having so much me on. Fun. This was yeah. fun, yeah. This, this was awesome. Would you, anything else that uh, you'd like to, to say, Mr. Rap? Well, just thanks, man. Just thanks. All right. It's awesome. So uh, I'm all, oh, good Lord, I'm all verklempt here. This, that was, that was <laughs> so cool. Oh, man. All right. I the just love the English fact. English D, man. It is. That only... Old English D, best logo in sports, best team in sports, best fans in sports. Excuse me. Best, excuse me. Best stadium in sports. Excuse best me. Best everything in sports. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. First of all, you know the old English D is better than the C. It's The old <sighs> English D is beautiful. You have to admit that. Again. It is beautiful, but it's not, you know. Best logo in sports. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so very, very much for joining us. And uh, the next time you'll be hearing, uh, well, maybe not the next time, but pretty soon here, Anthony and I are going to be on the road. We're going to be heading to Cooperstown, Toronto, Detroit, Cleveland, and Cincinnati for our next big, long road trip to check out some stadiums. So if you are located in any of those cities, shoot us a, an email at clubhousepodcast uh, at gmail.com. Tweet us. Tweet at us at Clubhouse Pod. Uh, do you have a Twitter that you'd like to uh, get out there, Pat? Or anything like that? Or anything you get to promote? Um, yeah, I got a website. And my website is called thewayofbaseball.com. Oh, that's cool. That, see, I and that's like, another that's thing. A, that's that, a cool title in and of itself. So. You know, I, uh, you know, we're definitely going to have to have you back on because I think I want to hear more about uh, what you're doing with that as well. So, uh, but yeah, so if you're in any of those cities, once again, Cooperstown, Toronto, uh, Detroit, Cleveland, Cincinnati, just let us know. Uh, but uh, for, the, for the rest of you, thank you so much for, for joining us this week. We'll see you next time uh, here in the Clubhouse. The Clubhouse is recorded at the Burkino Baseball Clubhouse located on 67 East 11th Street in New York City. If you consider yourself to be a baseball fan, and I'm assuming if you've made it this far, you must be, you have no excuse for not dropping by and checking out the fantastic baseball-inspired artwork and one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale. Mention the podcast to get a free bag tag with any purchase. The Clubhouse is produced by Zach McNeese. The website and logo were designed by Ronan Jora. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. That makes it easier for other folks to find our podcast. Leave us a comment telling us what your favorite ballpark is, and Anthony and I will read them on the show. Follow the show on Twitter at ClubhousePod. You can follow Anthony and I individually at RoundingThirdMJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. 
for guest ideas, baseball stories, or just to say hello, shoot us an email at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about the specific baseball moments we discussed on the show, please visit clubhousepodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.